Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is Teddy the Wonder Dog. Hey, Ted. Our question today is, what is... I feel like this is like the apex of everything, which is weird to do in your 21st episode. True. Uh, we are not near the end. We're doing this forever. <laughs> I mean, in some ways we are. Well, true. <laughs> uh, what's the single most effective thing that you, the human that is listening to this podcast right now, can do to defeat climate change? We talked to Peter. He's an atmospheric scientist at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. What? what? Uh, and he wrote a new book uh, called Be the Change, Live Well and Spark a Climate Revolution. He's not fucking around. No, he's not. <laughs> uh, but he's not an asshole about it. He's a really nice guy, which you would think gets some things done. I would think. Like I said uh, off the air already, that really really connected with with this one. I mean, I, I feel can like tell. I do on a certain level with every guest. But No, man. I think today was different. People yeah. are going to be pleasant. They're going to decide to Brian uh, they may have never seen before. <laughs> what was weird to me is the first thing he recommended yeah. to defeat climate change was to uh, do not get a cat. That is not. He never said that. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's not. It's not. That's such bullshit. But, but it should be. I... I mean, there's got to be What's your evidence. Thing with cats? There's got to be evidence somewhere that cats are disproportionately contributing to climate change. That's such God, your weird like thing against them is just, no, I'm not happy about it. It's equal against and to be clear, I love all animals, just not cats. Um no, right. dogs are amazing. They are. No argument and there. Ca- cats are they're just not. I might get a cat pretty really soon, so <laughs> You know why? Because I hate the environment, apparently. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Fine. Anyways, look, there are some seriously great, easy, and impactful, all three of those at once recommendations Damn. in here. And in his book, uh, like what to do with your commute, and also don't get a cat. No, don't <sighs> get a cat if you want to, people. <laughs> but adopt. If you're going to do it, adopt. Well, that's true. The moral of the story, kids, less is more. We can all do it. I walk to work now. It's amazing. I saw you actually on the way, but my horn's broken, so I couldn't honk at you. My dog gets exercise. I get. It doesn't feel like much. Uh, no one's telling you to get like a fucking treadmill desk, as, as amazing as those are. Right. But, <laughs> you know, and uh, 100% everybody can't walk to work. They don't have this type of commute. Right. But if I do nothing, I walk two miles every day. I mean, basically, New Yorkers do that every day anyways. I, all I did was walk in Chicago. They I just have, have high car. blood pressure, and, and they're angry about things if you don't live there. Um... <laughs> But not driving in the city is fucking incredible, right? Yeah. Besides doing it for the environment, your life's just better. It's just, it sucks at first, maybe, and we get into it with with Peter, but mm-hmm. man, just get over, if you just get over the mild inconvenience, or even maybe it's a big inconvenience, but there are, there are alternatives to driving uh, your car and uh, eating a hamburger every day, all kinds of shit yeah. that might suck yeah. at first, but just sure. start it. You know what sucked at first, or at least was weird, yeah. or I, I guess just a change? Wearing briefs. <laughs> I've committed to well, this. You have you really? Yeah, whereas I asked you to read two books three years ago and you haven't read them, you recommended I switch my underwear, and I did it you immediately. Did it right away. And let me tell you, fucking converted, right? These are lovely. I think, they're, I think it's way better. Here's the thing. I feel more free, but oh. at the same time, more uh, secure, taken yeah. care of, right? It's, I don't know what these are made of. These are the Saks ones that Wirecutter recommended. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the money. I don't know what they're made of or how they're constructed. They feel like they came from the, like the loom of some beautiful, mythical Greek siren on a forbidden island in agency. I don't know how I passed her test or got away on my wooden ship. And I'm, I'm sure I'll pay for it later like Achilles uh, and his little ankle. But you know what? Doesn't matter for now. Very pleased. Are you? Uh, are you wearing them right now? I am. Can I touch them? No. All right. N- no. After that amazing description, I'm very curious as to how what does, they feel like. How does uh, your lady feel about um, your briefs? I mean, I guess she's never seen anything different because you've just always been briefs, right? I've With- only been briefs. She's never seen me in anything else. Interesting. And this is what I'll say. I actually just I was very excited when I saw her yesterday because I was able to uh, show her my new briefs. I got some. Here's what happened. A couple months ago, I ordered some briefs on Amazon. I didn't realize that I ordered bikini cut briefs. Nice. So, Wait, uh, we've got to get a picture of this up there. Oh my what God. were they? We'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> I, I, they were. They're just Hanes. They're just a, like a. They're just Hanes. No, no, but they're Hanes bikini cut. They're, which bi- they're bikini cut. They are. <laughs> I already wear like 
I, you could argue like small underwear, like they're briefs, but they're sure, like sure. even less fabric. Not mm-hmm. not for any reason, just that I want as little as possible down there. Yeah. But the fucking bikini cut, unwearable. <laughs> ridiculous how tiny they are. I can't believe that they're sold. Is there for any men. support there? There's it's there's two. They're so tiny. I like I ordered the size that, I, but they're just so. There's just nothing going on except like just smash. Oh, I see. I, I can't have the smash. No, no, no. It was very bad. So I can't wear those. Plus, they came in like but what all did these she ridiculous think? Because it's not colors. your choice. Well, she yeah. When she first saw them, because I like didn't see anything, and I just like had them, and she she was just like, "What? What are you wearing?" Right. And they were like electric yellow and t- like. <laughs> Her size underwear. So I was like, I'm so sorry. These Wait, were, an were they accident. just her underwear? They were ba- they were basically her underwear. So anyway, I have a new pair. They're briefs, but they're just like a little more coverage. Super. Did comfy. you send them back? Can you send? Amazon takes most things, but I can't imagine they take men's bikini. Cut, I Hanes think there was a back. little note that said you can't return these. Yeah, unless right. they were like clearly not right. worn. But you can't return food, and you can't return men's bikini undergarments right, right yeah so i still got them i don't wear them much they're like the those shitty socks where like if you if they're the only thing left that's clean okay fine you have to mm-hmm. but you don't reach for them i do not reach for them can i ask you a question because yeah. we're i feel like we're minutes away from it being a thousand degrees and roaring oh, forest God, fires so here every it's day until so like christmas how does she feel about your beard oh my god in love but but See, I've always had this thing since I was like 11 and could grow a beard. Right. Uh, oh, you were like one of those? Wolfman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got a friend I, like I usually, that. I get rid of it during the summer. It's hot, you know? But I, for some I reason, my wife do that. has rather assertively insisted that I keep it this year. I think it's probably because I look like a 12-year-old. You need to keep it. You don't look good no, without a beard. I know, but it's, oh. <laughs> oh, it's just out there now. Good thing I have a fucking voice for audio. Thanks, Brian. Anyways, come on. It all comes back to climate change. I do it for that because it's hot and it's too hot. And that's one of the, besides starting a podcast, my kids say, What did you <laughs> I do? I did I'm, two things. I cut my beard and I started. Uh, Living in a world where it's too hot for a beard is a nightmare. And even though it is too hot for a beard, I will not shave it. I you, will not. You did before. I was forced to. It was awful. By the people of Credit Karma. All right. <laughs> she loves the beard. I'm the first person in her whole life with a beard that she's even kissed. Really? Yeah. Besides her dad. Let's go talk to Peter. All right. Our guest today is Peter Kalmus, and together we're going to answer the question, what's the single most effective thing you can do to affect climate change? Peter, welcome. Well, hey, thanks for having me, Quinn and Brian. Yeah, thanks for being here, brother. Hey, uh, Peter, tell us real quick who you are and what you do. All right. So I um, (laughs) I've had a I've had kind of a piecemeal career. Uh, I went to graduate school in physics, and then I did astrophysics for eight years. I actually worked with the uh, yeah. LIGO collaboration, which uh, recently discovered gravitational waves. Oh, yeah. No, um, no biggie. That thing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I started reading around t- 2006. I started reading more and more about climate change. Uh, this is while I was a graduate student. Um, and it just, you know, the more I read, the more concerned I got. In 2012, 2011, 2012, I made the leap to atmospheric science, and I, at the time, I was a postdoc at Caltech in Pasadena, and so I made the leap about five miles uh, up the road to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and became an atmospheric scientist and started, you know, doing studying various parts of the climate system and things related to climate change. Um, so I should say I'm speaking on my own behalf here. Um, of course. Around the same time, uh, like the 2006 to you know 2008 period, as I was getting more concerned, I started to talk to my friends about climate change. Back then, you know, in terms of how people are, are, are think thinking about climate change and talking about it, it was really a different world back in mm-hmm. 2006. I felt really kind of alone. You know, I didn't have a community that was that cared about it. Uh, people in my family were were pretty skeptical, pretty silent about it. Um, so it was it was kind of a weird time. I was speaking out and getting largely ignored and sort of getting kind of increasingly frustrated and feeling like I might be crazy. Uh, then <laughs> right. my family moved to uh, California. I finished my PhD in 2008 and we were in New York City. And then we moved to California and I started gardening. That was kind of like, and, and I started biking. Those two things really kind of started to transform me and made me realize that instead of just talking about this stuff, I really had to start doing something. And so there's this huge question, right? Like, what can one person do 
about this global, this huge, ponderous, overwhelming global problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, so then, you know, for the last, uh, you know, like 10 years, I'd say, I've really wrestled with that question. And that wrestling turned into a, a book, which got published in 2017. And sort of like tell it tells the story of, of these transformations and sort of the deep experimentation I did with responding as as you know one single mammal on this planet to right. to climate change. But an important mammal. Can you tell everybody what the name of the book is? So it's called Being the Change, Live Well and Spark a Climate Revolution. You know, Simple. and yeah, yeah. We 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 went the publisher and I went went back and forth with the title for a while. Um and uh finally just kind of went for the direct approach, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I did was I decided to drastically reduce my own uh, use of fossil fuels. And I did that for reasons that, you know, maybe your listeners would be a little bit surprised about. So it wasn't just to directly reduce my emissions to the atmosphere. Uh, So when I, before I started reducing, I was at like 20 metric tons per year, Mm -hmm. roughly. Is that pretty Which is average? roughly the U.S. average. Yep. Over the course of three or four years, I reduced that uh, to by, by about a factor of 10, wow. down to about two metric tons per year. And that's like a tiny drop in the global emissions ocean, sure. right? So I'm not under any pretense that these kinds of personal reductions are going to like sort of be directly significant to the, the problem. Mm-hmm. But the, the reasons I reduced was I, I just didn't like burning fossil fuels anymore. So sure. when I had a decision like to get on a plane or not get on the plane, I, I more and more started to, to lean towards not getting on the plane mm-hmm. just because I felt sort of gross d- doing all that emissions. Like once I knew yeah. like what parts of my lifestyle were emitting a lot, I just didn't feel really that good about doing that emission. Incredible. So that was that was kind of the main reason was just um kind of implementing that knowledge in my personal life. And then the second thing was I kind of started to realize pretty fast that the changes I were, was making, the changes I made were were not like making me less happy. They didn't really feel like huge sacrifices or anything. Sure. They were kind of fun and um you know, they felt they felt meaningful. Um you know, they got me into a lot of new hobbies, like I said like gardening and sure, biking. Sure. I felt more connected to the community and there's a lot of research that talks about how connection to community, more connection to community leads to more happiness. Sure. So I'm like, you know, everyone says reducing your fossil fuel use is like wearing a hair shirt and it's a huge sacrifice. <laughs> My experience was directly opposed to Quite that the conventional wisdom. That's awesome. So I, so I was like, you know, I got to talk about this. So that's what led to sure. writing the book. Uh, well, I, I love it, man. We're going to dig into all that stuff. Uh, so you can be our, our everybody's own personal messiah a little bit, which I think is exactly the opposite of what you were going for. Yeah, um, right. Uh, yeah, I think of it more as like a you know one water molecule in a wave, you know, because sure. I'm building I'm building on like what other people are doing, and hopefully, kind of like con- contributing to sort of a change in the collective story, you know, and other people can take what I'm doing and run with it. For sure, uh, well, uh, you know, it, but you know what? It, there's a lot of doom and gloom, and and at the same time, good news out there. Um, but but I do think there's a lot of room for like, hey, this is here's some really specific stuff that not only worked for me and worked for my family made me feel awesome um, because nobody really responds to like, we're fucked, um, you know, in the broadest sense. That just makes you go like, all right, well, I'm just going to Netflix yeah. then and <laughs> right. not really chill, uh, uh, but just Netflix, and just Netflix. Feel depressed. Yeah. Yep, Netflix and feel and feel depressed. Um, this sad, is, this is perfect for this conversation is perfect because our whole thing, every episode is what can we actually all do? Like what actual actions? And you have a fucking book full of them. Right. So uh, I guess this is the last episode. That's perfect. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right, let's get, uh, let's get into our, our conversation for today. Uh, like I just said, all, what we want to do is ask questions that get answers that are f- affiliated with action. Like what can everybody actually do to help? Um, you know, we want to get to the bottom of of what we're talking about so that everybody truly understands it and can m- make some action and take some action uh, to, you know, help help make this place a little bit better. Right. Awesome. Um, so, uh, Peter, and I think you alluded to this a little bit. We're going to ask you more specifically. Uh, we start with one important question. Uh, we feel is important. You might not feel so much uh, to really get the heart of why you're here today. 
And that is, instead of telling us uh, what your life story is, uh, we like to ask, Peter, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> the survival of the species. Uh-huh. Be bold. Uh, no biggie. You're here for a reason. <laughs> well, okay. I, I, I guess I could take that into a totally different direction than you probably expect. No, that's my favorite um, kind. By the way, nine uh, yeah. out of ten people say I'm not, and I'd love to hear why. Let's do this. <laughs> all right. Well, I have two beautiful young boys. All right. So they're right now they're ten and eleven. They keep getting older on me. It's very strange. Um, they are, you know, they're they're kind of absorbing all of the um the kind of climate change individual response stuff that I'm doing. Um, they're starting to possibly get interested in sort of speaking out themselves. And I think that, you know, the kids are so, you know, we saw with the, um, you know, the Parkland movement and the Never Again, how powerful, you know, such moral authority that that kids can yes. wail, right? Yes. So I would never push them to, to like, kind of like echo my message. But if they ever, you know, decide to start speaking out, uh, like from their own volition, then I will certainly sure. support that. But they're definitely like, they're getting the whole gardening thing. You know, they love the fact that we have chickens. Uh, they're totally used to walking to school. It's like a mile away and biking to school. And mm-hmm. we're like in the school they're they're like little local celebrities um, because they don't <laughs> get dropped off in a car. Because everyone thinks that's totally weird, which is weird because when that's we were kids, you so know, so insane every, to me, it's totally different. When we were kids, um, you know, everyone was walking and biking. That was like, you know, hard, hardly anyone got dropped off in the car. It's totally changed in the last couple of decades. So anyway, like in a literal sense, they are my contribution to the survival of the species. And then, um, you know, there's all kinds of controversy about, you know, overpopulation and sure. what, you know, what, what we can do on that front. And um, from from my point of view, you know, both of my kids were were born kind of while my consciousness about global warming and sort of the future, uh, the, the places that it looks like we're taking this planet that consciousness was evolving for me. Sure. So it didn't really factor in that strongly back then to my decision to have the kids. Yeah. And then, you know, we were talking about having a third and definitely by then it definitely factored in my decision. I'm like, you know, two having two kids is below replacement rate. Um, you know, so, so I, I'm definitely a proponent for, you know, smaller families for empowering women for promoting contraception globally you know, to to try to things that we can try to do to kind of make the reality of human population be more on the lower end of the projections as sure. opposed to the higher end of the yeah. projections. Yeah. Well, my third was a complete accident. So we can just play this <laughs> podcast for him in 15 years and Perfect. he'll be like, oh, great. So I feel even worse. Oh, um, yeah, I, 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 I hear you, man. I love that answer. I, I've got three little ones that are younger than yours. Um, and my oldest. Uh, is um very inquisitive and curious and uh, opinionated on this stuff. I I told the story early in our podcast which is they're they're so close in age but all in school but at one point all in different versions of preschool and going to activities and such that so we had to get a, a minivan as it goes yep. uh despite my own feelings about it all. And um <laughs> One day he just goes, what's climate change on the way to baseball? And I was like, oh, man, I mean, how much time do we have here, pal? And, uh, you know, we were talking and we're looking at tailpipes and things like that and how it all works. You know, the greatly simplified eight minute version on the way to baseball practice. And he by the end of it was like, so how are we going to get home? I was like, well, well, what do you mean? I was like, I'm I'm going to stay practice and I'll take you home. He's like, yeah, but we can't ride in the minivan again because it, it's a pollution. And I was like, oh, well, no. Damn it! And I was like, we we need the car to get <laughs> to get around. It's like, yeah, it's the dile- it's the big dilemma. Yeah, right there I was like, it's five minutes away, but, but he was like, had made up his mind. He was like, yeah, but no, but we can't ride in this car anymore. And it's the same thing he did when I told him where paper comes from from trees. He was like, oh well, guess I'm never using paper again. <laughs> um, and again, like I didn't push these things on him, but he's just so tuned into it, and is just uh, it's 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 pretty black and white for him. Obviously, yeah. life will get more complicated, um, but. Uh, well, to use to use an inappropriate metaphor, I think the please, kids. That's what we do. Yeah, kids is uh, it's where the rubber hits the road for you know on, on climate. I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it may be a little bit of a cliche, but in for my own personal path, everyone has a different path. Yeah. But for me, you know, like having the two kids was a real kick in the pants in terms of my yeah. own for sure kind of concern and my own like call to action. You know, so there's definitely a sense that you know what I'm doing, I'm doing for them, and then. 
it kind of like broadened my whole view. Uh, you know, like I sort of feel in some sense, like when I see little kids kind of feel like in a way, you know, I'm responsible for them too, you know, and, and then also yeah. when, I, when I see animals and, you know, when I read about, uh, read scientific papers about coral reefs, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, I feel kind of responsible for, for I, not responsible exactly, but, you know, I, I feel like this is my purpose, right. Is yeah. to be here, to be kind of like an earth father, you know, and like yeah. to speak out for all of these beings that don't really have a voice, you know, and I've been, yeah. It's true. I, I, I've always felt like, you know, since we, we started this newsletter thing a couple of years ago in the podcast, you know, again, we're, we're 20 plus episodes in and it's going great. And I, I just feel like at some point, you know, my, when my children are even a little older and they recognize the totality of what is, uh, what has happened to this planet, um, mostly because of us and our, the generations before us, they're going to look at us and, you know, say, what did you do to help? And of course, my answer is going to be like, I started a podcast, podcast man. Um, but, <laughs> but no, it's the it's the day to day actions that that really matter. So let's let's again, let's dig into that. That's the point for today. So we're going to do a little thing we call Context 101 with Professor Brian, which I mean, Jesus, at this point could mean anything. But anything. It, he does his best. It's all we can ask for is for everybody to do our best. <laughs> and we got Peter here to keep us on track. And hopefully he doesn't, you know, uh, hang up before this is all over. Please don't hang up. Um, all right, Brian. Here Get we go. It. Here's here's the here's the deal. Okay, you know you contributed to this mess. Um, are, you, right. are you talking to the listeners? Wow, <laughs> everybody, everyone. I mean, yeah. a little bit, right? Sure. Literally all of us. And you know, your parents uh, did a ton of damage. Like, let me do my thing. Okay. All right. Can you uh, just no, chill? Ba- ba- it's, I will agree with you. Baby boomers are a nightmare. Right. But all right. So anyway, your your grandparents. Well, uh, like. Okay, it's like smoking, for example. Let's use that analogy or metaphor or whatever the word is when you're trying to compare stuff. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So our grandparents like didn't really know it was bad. And so everybody just smoked and, and then everybody got lung cancer, uh, just like they didn't wear sunscreen. And then now they all have melanoma or, you know, some degree of skin cancer. And then your parents sort of knew it wasn't great, but they didn't have like all the evidence. So they just did it anyways. You know, factories, coal, cars, oil, flying, smoking, same thing. Sun tanning. Sure. It's all the same. Sure. Our generation, you know, we certainly did some some dumb shit. We very much smoked so. to be cool and, uh, you know, fucked off on Earth Day. Uh, but, you know, Jesus Christ, has it come back to kick us right in the nuts? It did. That is true. And unlike smoking, uh, or well, actually, it's sort of like secondhand smoking, maybe. The, the point I'm trying to make is we, we all contributed to it, to climate change, and, and it's now affecting all of us. Like, we're all connected. Every, everything's, we always talk about this. Everything is connected. It's a very common thing. This theme. is not half bad. <laughs> so, so the cigarette companies and the fossil fuel companies are like certainly a thousand percent at fault and knew the whole time. Right. And should like absolutely be sued into oblivion. But uh, all right. Anybody who still smokes is sort of an asshole, but contributing to climate change is like actually sort of hard to kick. You know, right? Like, it's a little more complicated. Yeah, we gotta go places. We wanna fly places. We want AC in our apartments. We need to power our houses. And until like super recently, it, it hasn't really been up to us, or or even anywhere close to affordable or technologically possible to like make our decisions on how to how to do this ourselves. Okay. And the alternatives, and not just smoking, or or you know the the gum and the the patch or whatever. I don't know. They're not efficient. You know what I mean? And they're way too expensive. The utilities didn't look very fond. You're talking about like solar and and such. Solar and such. Right. Hydro, wind. Right. Uh, You know. Not uh, your choice if you can use hydro or not. Right. (laughs) Hydropower or not. No. no. Um, And, you know, so if you try to do this, sometimes you're punished for it. And, you know, now the the next generation, you know, like the, the millennials are catching tons of heat. But, Man, they are fired up about all kinds of shit. Yeah. And there's like, there's still smokers, but man, they look dumb. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the generation after them, whatever they're called, I think just babies, they might just be called babies. Shit, <laughs> I don't of, think that's specifically <laughs> what they're called, but that's what we were, were talking on about a before. Name. <laughs> right. They're, they're like actually suing state governments and, and the federal government. Like they do not give a fuck. Right. And, and by the way, I've gone, I've gone fully to the dark side in this. Every time I hear a baby boomer rip on, uh, millennials or younger about their work ethics, I am gleefully remind them that these kids are cleaning up their fucking mess. Yeah, exactly it's, what they did. It's infuriating. 
Uh, so, all right. So you've contributed to it. You, Quinn, and, and you, Peter. And, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously all of us. We, we still are. We all are. And, you know, but what can we do to mitigate it, right? There's a lot of advice out there. Some of it's awesome, like the drawdown, the plan by Paul Hawken and those guys. Right. Um, some really good advice. But like what we want to do is figure out what you can do right now, today, in your life. You are a tiny, tiny little impact on a overheated star in a distant corner of inhospitable infinite space. But mm-hmm. this place is fucking glorious. And like, it's the only bed we've got. So we, we better do something. And we are making serious progress. But man, do we have a long way to go. Good news is, you know, all the little tiny things that all of us are doing, they add up. And the whole point of this podcast is to do those things, to take action. So let's get into it. Wow. That was quite the sermon. Uh, that, <laughs> is it that, analogy that or great. metaphor from earlier? I always forget Nobody knows. Yeah, it does, we're not, this is not a gr- grammar <laughs> podcast. Um, that's amazing. Thank you, Brian. So, uh, all right, with that for some context, uh, throwing the blame all around. Now let's turn it and say, what's the single most effective thing you can do to affect climate change? So, Peter, take us through this a little bit. What's the, what's the first thing you did what was when you started uh, to overhaul your life? Okay, well, uh, let me take a step back. And I yeah. think we should, we should discuss whether, you know, it's even worth doing any like, individual changes to reduce one's, one's oh, okay. fossil fuel at all. And then okay. once, once we kind of like nail that down, then, then we can talk about the specifics about how to do that. Yeah, let's Which, do of course, like there's a big section of my book about that exactly. Right. So, so, yeah, you know, I think we got to stop beating around the bush here. You know, um, we know that the majority, the vast majority of the root cause of climate change is burning fossil fuel. Right, you know, right. there's a, a little bit also comes from like agriculture, cutting down forests and turning them into farmland. But the majority of it is burning fossil fuel. So I think it's just remarkable that it's 2018. And so few people are actually like leading by example and saying, like, here's how you burn less fossil fuel, not just as a stunt, not like as a one year thing right. to like, you know, do a publicity stunt and write a book, but as like a sustained <laughs> change in the way you live, the way you think about life, the way you interact with the community and your friends, mm-hmm. you know, how can you do this in a system that's designed a setup to force you kind of to encourage you to burn fossil fuel? Sure. How can you live like a decent life of kind of a normal life um, in that system? Right. My thinking is that there's a, you know, when I talk about individual individual change, a lot of people are like, well, we need systems change. You know, it, it, you shouldn't focus on individual change. That's a distraction. We need systems change. Mm-hmm. And I always say, well, how do you, how exactly do you propose for like one typical person, an individual to push for that systems change? Mm-hmm. So I see like a connection between what the collective does, you know, and what individuals do right and, and it's a two-way connection so the the culture the collective culture influences how we think what we think is possible mm-hmm. and then what we do um you know we're kind of herd animals uh, so what we do kind of influences the people around us and lets them kind of gives gives them cues as to what's possible and what they can imagine and what they can envision for the future right so so i i think it's just really obvious to me that Probably the most meaningful action that a, a single typical person can take on climate change is to stop burning so much fossil fuel and to explore that in, in a really deep way. So to get really creative with it, really mm-hmm. explore how our lives interact with emissions and, you know, kind of, you know, a lot of people have a hobby that they put a lot of energy into like people are avid golfers or avid bird watchers or whatever people Motorcycle are into riders, so put, a, put at least that much effort as like someone who's really passionate about a hobby into this kind of quest this what i find it to be a deeply meaningful quest to to learn how to live with a lot less fossil fuel and then do that in a conspicuous way you know and that's where a lot of creative creativity comes in how can you sort of uh, let people know about it in a way that they will find compelling, right? So, so, so a key part there is as you go down this path of changing how you interact with fossil fuels, what, what about those changes do you find kind of cool or compelling or interesting or you know, sustainable in your life or maybe just even fun, right? 
Maybe right. something makes you feel healthier, like eating less meat or biking. Um, maybe flying less makes you feel less stressed. Like there's less trips to plan. There's less jet lag. There's fewer nights in a hotel. You can engage. You, you spend more time with your family, engage with your community more. So, so what's the positive side of the story? And you can only really start telling that as you start living it. Like, I, I find there's just absolutely no way to fake this, right? Sure. And then then as you start going down that path, you, you know, you can look for other things to do, things like pushing for a policy, for example. So so I'm a huge proponent of carbon price, specifically carbon fee and dividend, sure. right? So then as you start pushing for those things, you can do it even more authentically, right? Because, you know, everyone who's, if you give a talk or something or you write a piece about it, people are like, wow, like, you know, this person's really serious. They're, they're not just paying lip service to this. They're actually making real changes to how they live. Right. So, so then no matter what you're pushing for at a more kind of abstract collective level, it's going to come from a more authentic place. Right. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is my response to the people who say, forget about individual action. It doesn't matter. Only focus on collective action is that those two things don't exist separately like no, you got to walk the walk personally yeah but but i don't see a lot of people doing that yet um right. and i think right. that part of the problem here is that we have a culture of burning fossil fuels right we are socially rewarded for burning a lot of fossil fuel yeah. you go on a you fly someplace exotic for vacation you post about it on facebook uh you get you know you, you do a lot of business travel helps you get a promotion so or maybe you know you buy a huge mansion and then you know, people you get this, you know, this conspicuous consumption as opposed to conspicuous non-consumption, and you somehow get social points for that. So um, we need to Absolutely. turn that story on its head and make burning fossil fuel socially unacceptable. Um, and how do we do that? Well, if, if, you know, people who are advocating for action at a collective level are still burning a lot of fossil fuel in their, their own daily lives, they're sort of through their actions, kind of cementing that that prevailing culture of burning lots of fossil fuel in place. You know, they don't want to do that, but that's sort of what they're doing, right? I think we're very right. we're very sensitive to what what our peers are actually doing, right? Maybe even at a subconscious level, maybe even more so than what they're saying. Um, and, and if we can manage to do that, like gradually, um, if enough people start moving away from fossil fuels and you know, calling for this sort of change through their actions, then then maybe that could make some space for the collective change we need, right? Maybe mm-hmm. maybe people actually start voting on climate change, which they're not doing right now, right. right? They're voting on other issues. But if, you know, as this culture starts to shift, I think it unlocks the space for the collective changes that we desperately need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like saying those two things aren't connected is so wild. Like that's... Uh, insane yeah of course they are it's it's crazy so 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 where did you start peter okay so the first thing that i did was was i started biking um so at the time i was commuting uh from my home to caltech it was about six miles okay um i was riding a really gas guzzling motorcycle <laughs> um huh. and, interesting yeah ryan i don't know if you listened to the pod <laughs> before but you sound a lot like me right now and um you know it just uh again you know i I was thinking more and more about climate change it was getting more and more real for me Mm -hmm. and um, i was just like you know this doesn't feel good to to keep burning all this gas uh what if i try biking instead Mm -hmm. and the the first time i did it it felt weird you know just felt felt kind of weird to be you know just you know looking down at the pavement right in front of me with this little thin wheel, right? And uh, and the first time I did it, uh, it took me a long time. Over the course of a couple of weeks, I, I think I cut my commute time in half just as I optimized the routes and started, mm-hmm. the leg muscles got stronger, my confidence improved. And the thing is, I loved it. It just felt so good in so many ways. You know, um, I was getting exercise. I, I've never been, I, I don't have enough discipline really to, you know, get myself to the gym or to, even really go for runs. So like building this exercise every day into my life, you know, biking 12 miles a day back and forth. um, That was, I just, you know, I I just moved from Manhattan where I was walking everywhere, came to California, started, you know, driving instead. And so I put, put, put on a few pounds and, you know, by (laughs) biking those 
went away and I started feeling better. I remember the feeling of you know, freedom I had when I was a kid. Now I bike around my neighborhood, which I, again, I think kids are doing less and less of these days. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, it's a wonderful feeling. And that kind of, then I'm like, well, what else can I change? You sure. know, like if that was Got so positive, what else can I change? Well, let's get specific for a sec though. Cause I'm sure a lot of people are like, yes, but uh, I, it'll take me too long or yes, but I uh, will be sweaty when I get to work. Mm-hmm. Yes. But this is so what are your what are your answers to those specifically? Again, knowing that your situation doesn't apply to everyone, but yeah, well, well absolutely, my situation doesn't apply to everyone. You know, sometimes there, there's we we all know that there's things that we kind of feel like doing in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like make, maybe eating a huge thing of ice cream that we we want to do, but we know it's going to make us feel worse later on. <laughs> Brian does this all the time, right? I and then there's things that oh, we kind of don't want to do in the moment you know, like maybe exercising that we know it's going to make us feel better in the long run. Right. And this is just like a fundamentally human thing. Uh, It applies to lots of spheres of life. Um, I would say, you know, don't, in terms of the biking specifically, give it a try because, um, it's easy to make excuse. It it is, I think that even more than the sweatiness and kind of the effort involved, it's more kind of the convenience factor. You know, it it takes a little bit more planning. You might have to to leave a little bit more time. You might have to take a change of clothes. It's all doable. But, you know, when you have, when you got the, you know, maybe kids to worry about and you're pressed for time and, you know, you got all this, your life's already too busy. It can seem too hard to, to kind of break over that inconvenience barrier but once i did it and and once my wife did it too so my wife's name is sharon and if anything she's even more of a biking advocate than i am Mm -hmm. so so that was you know a huge early success was kind of getting her interested in biking too and then she just she kind of just really embraced it i think it's just a wonderful thing it feels great when you're doing it it makes me happy. It, you know, put awards off depression. And then there, this is really interesting, and a lot of people don't know this, but it'll actually add significantly to your lifespan on average. So if you take a population, a large population of people, mm-hmm. and you look at the people who bike commute, and you look at the people who don't bike commute, the people who bike commute on average will live like I don't remember what the exact number is, but it's like it's on the order of a year longer um just because of the reduced risk for heart disease for for strokes and heart attacks oh wow and the reduced risk of you being flattened by a semi-truck in california on a motorcycle all right <laughs> i think that there, there's a very slightly you know higher risk from uh, from injuries uh, yeah as, as more and more people got on bikes and less people sure. were driving and the bike infrastructure improved um and that that will only happen if people start actually demanding it by, sure. by biking sure. That will go down even more, but it's already like, you know, orders of magnitude smaller in terms of risk than, than, you know, than not having that daily exercise. Sure. I, ha- I have a couple things to say. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Just right. Number one, listen, I, I, I can like relate to you, uh, Peter, with the feeling terrible about, you know, riding the motorcycle and actually adding like your, I can hear myself adding pollution to the, to the planet yeah. and I don't love it. And then like, it really does make me want to change. Uh, and I, well, I love my motorcycle. I used to ride a bike a lot around town, uh, in between having cars and like the main, it really did suck when I got to work and I was sweaty. I was like, oh, well, how can I keep doing this? This is hideous. I have to work a whole shift now. But the like that lasted like three days. And then the rest of the time that I did it, it was fine. And it just felt wonderful. It is always that when anytime you're making a big change that just the transition that sucks and you can either give up and be like, well, nah, this is, I just can't do this. Or you just push through a little bit, like literally for a couple weeks and you can, like, everything is fine. Yeah. And you, and you, uh, again, like there's going to be a lot of people out there. And I think a lot of people do this where they're not doing it for the climate change and you kind of got to meet them where they are, which is like, you just want to lose a little weight or you just want to get your heart in better condition, or you just want to be outside in nature a little more, whatever the thing is that also helps them contribute to, to personally Taking on climate change, you know, great. Like you said, Peter, it just felt wonderful. Yeah, it um, felt really good. We're, we're not going to save the planet by getting on bikes. Uh, I mean, we, we probably could if everyone did if it, everyone, but sure, yeah. not, not everyone's going to do it. Yeah. But, but so then the other thing is, you know, since not everyone's going to do it, um, I urge people to to take a look, to kind of, kind of do a, a carbon emissions audit to yourself. Um, and and just real kinda, quick, actually, on that note, so you mentioned calcul- you, you calculated yeah. what your carbon impact was and then taking it down tenfold. Could you actually just back up real quick and actually talk us through how to how one does that? 
Yeah. So you, you need to know like how much CO2 is emitted when you burn a gallon of gas, right? when, when you fly a thousand miles, uh, when you eat, you know, meat versus vegetarian versus vegan for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you, you buy a hundred dollars worth of natural gas or electricity, how much does this translate to carbon emissions? Right. Yeah. So, so I kind of like, um, I looked at seven spheres of, of how our, daily lives interact with climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to the things I said, it's also like waste. So if you like throw food into the landfill, it's going to turn into methane right. um, and stuff, you know, like buying new stuff uh, when it's manufactured, it, they, they use fossil fuels to create it. So sure. there's embodied fossil fuel in the stuff. So for, for those kind of seven typical categories, uh, I, in my book, I kind of, I, I got out, you know, peer reviewed papers and, for, for most of them um, stuff. I think there's a lot more research that needs to be done on how making our stuff contributes to climate change, but I did the yeah. best I could to estimate those um, uh, conversion factors for the seven different categories. Right. And then you just have to do a little bit of, you know, all right, so let me figure out about how many gallons did I uh, burn this year? So you know about, you know, how, how many miles per gallon your vehicle gets and you know how far you went. So you can estimate that very roughly put in some factor for how many passengers you had. Same sure. thing with flying. And then, you know, maybe it would take about an hour for, for someone to, once they had those conversion factors that are in my book to kind of figure that out. Mm-hmm. And I will say that when I first did this in 2010, um, I was really surprised by what I found. Um, at that time I was, I, I'd been planning to put solar panels on my roof. I was like, all oh, gung ho. I'm like, this is going to cost a lot of money payback for us you know sure. we weren't using very much electricity so the payback was going to be about 30 years for us uh before we kind of made up the the, the investment of uh, putting the solar panels up there mm-hmm. i'm like that's you know that's not that great but i'll go for it but then i did this I, I looked at my own emissions and i realized that for me at the time flying was by far my largest source of emissions i'm talking like more than three quarters of it oh, and wow. then, yeah, and then the second biggest one for me was was food for was eating meat. Um, so so I'm like, you know, I'm going to put the solar panels on on hold and um, focus on these two areas the most. So I'm like, all right, so how can I fly less? Uh, it took me several years to ramp that down. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to you know talk to my parents. I had to figure out how to. They live in Illinois, so I had to figure out how to get to hey. Illinois without flying. <laughs> Another Illinois. Yeah, and then um and then you know i became I, i've been thinking for years before even before i did this about becoming a vegetarian and mm-hmm. uh you just because of i, I don't want to harm yeah i know i don't want to be eaten so i kind of like assume hey, I don't that be eaten other either. other we beings so on the planet don't really want to be eaten either right. yeah <laughs> so so, yeah. so so i've been thinking about that for a long time and this finally gave me the kick to actually try it and then i'm like gosh i like this too you know being being a vegetarian i just sort of felt lighter, felt like food tasted sure. better, you know, grocery bills went down, all of that stuff. Yeah. So once you get this picture of how your daily life is interacting with climate change, that's when you can really sort of decide where you might want to intervene and what experiments you you know you might want to do. And you have sure. this great, we'll put it in the show notes, but on your on your website you have this uh this great page on there where you can make a pie chart and you even link to a a uh, like a climate calculator uh, uh, that you that you trust and and like so we'll put that in the notes too for everybody. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not rocket science as they say. Um, Easy rocket you, scientist. Yeah, <laughs> Easy. You, yeah, I got friends who are rocket scientists. I, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> but but they really they literally are, and it's very cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think in the environmental movement, there's a little bit too much, you know, like. 20 things you can do for the climate. And yep. it's just this like grab bag of stuff that people can use to feel maybe less guilty. Yeah. But I think once you really know, like what are the big things and what are the small things and you start prioritize them and kind of like can see your emissions go down and you know that you're sort of doing everything you can. For me, at least like there's like no, I have no guilt about climate change anymore. You know, I've, sometimes yeah. I feel frustrated by how little my efforts, efforts are you know, and I wish they were more having more impact than they are. Right. But at least I don't feel guilty, you know, and um, I think there's way too much climate guilt going around. And 
the uh, the prescription for it is so obvious. You know, just do something. Just do it. <laughs> Rec- recognizing that, like a, a lot of folks can't dedicate their you know whole lives to to change as much as they need to anyway. Right. What would you say is like the the cross section there of the maybe the easiest thing, uh, but the most impactful change that 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 we can make. Right. Is there like a list of sort of three to five? And I recognize that this is the point of your book, but you know, sort of, again, what are the easy slash impactful things that people can do that are again, applicable across geographies and demographics? Probably Probably the the easiest thing that you can do that would have pretty significant impact is to eat less meat Mm -hmm. and to, and to waste less food. So don't, don't ever throw food in the garbage because it'll go into the landfill and turn into methane. All right. So if you compost it, if you feed it to worms, if you feed it to chickens, or if you just, you know, try to reduce your food waste in other ways, that's, that's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. If you don't fly, then probably another big one would be to drive less or to drive a more efficient vehicle or to get an electric vehicle, you know, or to bike more. So try to, so, so the average American's biggest emission source is actually driving. Mm-hmm. And the reason the reason for that is because, you know, most Americans don't fly in any given year. Like, like it's really sure. flying is really the domain for the for the not just the globally privileged, but even the privileged, the kind of richer uh, slice of, of the, the U.S. population. So there's a lot wow. of people that uh, that basically can't afford to fly. So if you are flying a lot for whatever reason, um, then definitely reducing that is going to be your biggest, most imp- impactful change. Um, and I know that, that I, I think the flying question is super interesting because people <laughs> people are very attached to it. Let, let me put it that way. It's a it, it's it's really it's also the most uh, efficient way to go three thousand miles or more. Well, it's the fastest way. Yeah, it, it's the, it's certainly the fastest way and. In you know, with the expectations of our society, fossil fuel is kind of like this juice that makes a lot of noise and makes us move around really fast. And I think that combination makes us feel more stressed. Yeah. But it definitely sets up expectations with our families, with our employers, that we're going to be able to fling ourselves halfway across the planet in a matter of hours, um, which is just historically such an anomalous thing, right? I mean, we, and we take it, and it's just remarkable to me that we take it for granted that we don't, that people get in a plane and they're like, oh, you know, like, um, there's not enough leg room. I mean, this is like, this is the, one of the great miracles of modernity, right? To be able to get on a plane and and, and we're taking it for granted. We don't even appreciate it really, right? Um, But when you start to give it up, then it it really makes you kind of question this whole this, this like complex interface between what we think we need versus what we think we want. Um, True. you know, whether that's we, the dichotomy whether, right there, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And, and can we, can we afford to take a few days to, you know, go across the country versus doing it in a matter of a few hours The you know, the answer is usually yes, we can. Um, we might have to think a little bit about how to manage the expectations of the people around us. And, and then we might think, well, this is a very special thing then to to travel across the country. So I'm maybe I'm only going to do it once per year instead of many times per sure, year. Sure. The flying thing kind of I think it hits close to home for a lot of people, which to me is that the, the ethics, the use of fossil fuel, the fact that a lot of people who are really concerned about climate change are still flying a lot. It's a very interesting place to explore. I think. Yeah, yeah, it, it can get pretty contentious. Um, sure can. So. What the book's been out for six months, a year, almost something like that. What do you yeah. What do you find is the most? This is a terrible word. Sticky action you've proposed. What What really moves the needle with folks and and gets acted upon? Does that make uh, sense? Well, the, the most controversial one is definitely the flying. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's funny. I, I get comments. So, so the books had more. I would say maybe more impact than I've expected because sometimes people just out of the blue will email me. Um, but it's, it's usually different stuff. You know, I I have people that are like, wow, you know, your book got me biking and now I'm just biking everywhere. And I love it, which is fantastic. I get people saying like, you know, now I'm eating a lot less meat or I'm trying vegetarianism. Uh, you know, (laughs) this is another kind of controversial thing in the book is that I actually say that, you know, meditation is a good and relevant practice for, people that are concerned about climate change, right? And Talk to me I'm, about not, that. Explore yeah, that. I'm not... I'm a big meditator. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Right. Well, you know, I'm not religious. I, I don't, I'm not a member of any organized religion, mm-hmm. but I like to meditate. Uh, it takes, for me, it helps remove stress. 
um, it helps. It makes it easier for me to like, like earlier I talked about that, that barrier between, you know, doing in the moment, doing the thing, you know, is, is good for your long term right. versus right. doing the thing that you kind of want to at a bodily level that, you know, is not good for your long term. Right. So it helps kind of like over overcome that. Uh, which is great for one's long-term happiness, right? Do you, do you have a specific tool you use or platform you use, or is it? Yeah, so I do a kind of meditation called uh, Vipassana meditation. Okay. So um, it's people call it the the kind of boot camp me- meditation boot camp. Right. Um, you learn it by going and, and doing a ten-day silent retreat, where you basically just do nothing but uh, eat, poop, and meditate. Right? Did you <laughs> so just meditate all day long and? Uh, you know, I, I sort of think of it as like kind of like a training, um, sure. maybe sort of like a like a like a Jedi training for your brain or, you know, how pianists have to practice, you know, a couple hours a day to stay in peak form. Right. Well, the, our brains are kind of programmed somehow to react. Right. We we right. when somebody does something crappy to us, we react so you know someone cuts us off on the road we stick the middle finger out the window right that's a reaction that's that's what i call like a blind reaction you know or somebody says something to you that makes you feel depressed and you roll in the depression whatever it is um we tend to kind of react blindly and it's like a roller coaster you know when something good happens us, we get all elated when something bad happens we get all depressed so we're we're just kind of like flying around in the Right. Breeze, I mean, like our, a leaf, right? Our, our brains weren't built for this incredibly distracting world, you know, and, and yeah. this reaction system and, in, in, you know, in a lot of ways is what kept us from being eaten by tigers a couple thousand right. years ago. So that's great. But um, we need to recognize that we're not built for this. And like you said, find tools to to slow that down and, and make it a little more long term thinking. And right. uh, go ahead. When, when we roll in that those, those things, though, that like anger, or that depression, we're not happy. Right. So no. a great way to get happier is to kind of learn how to like observe those things with a little bit of detachment and be like, all right, so right. something bad happened to me. I can sort of feel like the depression wants to come on, but I'm just going to watch that, you know, and, and kind of like observe that and be with that. And then it, maybe it doesn't stay as long or maybe, sure. you know, after several years of meditating, maybe it doesn't even come at all. You're just like, wow, there's something that would have depressed me a couple of years ago that doesn't depress me now or would have made me angry. Right. doesn't make me angry now. And, and that's not that's a wonderful thing. Emotions are, are bad. You're still going to have have emotions. But, you know, I, I've been a, a big proponent of meditating right. for a long time and, and uh, I use Headspace, the Headspace platform. Um, and it's just fantastic. You can get on the app store. There's another great one called Calm. That's really great. And Headspace kind of takes you into it a different way, which is you start, uh, I think they give it to you for free the first 10 days. Uh, you do 10 minutes at a time because, you know, they always tell you it's very hard to start a habit by saying like, I'm going to work out for two hours today. It's like, right. you're not going to do that. And you're not going to do it every day but right, right. to build the habit and get you into it. But one of the, one of their key things with that, um, and this is a little off topic, but I think it does apply like you were saying is uh, one of their analogies is, it's it's like sitting and watching cars going by, but realizing you don't have to get on each and every one of them as far as your thoughts go. And that's a good that's a good description. Yeah. And, and uh, that you know, just taking that step back and watching them, and that's okay. And to watch them, but you don't have to get on all of them and go for that ride because that's how everybody feels every day, especially these days, where the news every five fucking minutes is something else. It's that is if you if you're a human being in any form or capacity, it's going to throw you for a loop and make you fucking miserable or angry oh, or yeah. sad <laughs> or just flat out depressed. Um, and like you said, those emotions, when when you're constantly feeling them, those lead to shitty decisions. Um, exactly. And and it turns out those decisions have a pretty big impact. <laughs> consequences. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you know, and we can't so, so we can't we can't control the decisions that other people make. We can control how we act. We can control our decisions. The meditation helps me with that immensely. But also then when other people do, you know, shitty things, it helps me not like feel bad about that. You know, like right. I'm just going to keep doing the best I can with a smile. And, um, you know, I can't control the decisions that other people make. But if I get depressed about, you know, what's happening on the national scene or the fact that, you know, so few people are acting on climate change, it's not going to, like, help me be more effective. Right. And that's for me, that's what all it comes down to. Like, how can I be, you know, as effective an agent for collective change as I possibly can? Right. So every day I'm like asking myself that question. Um, And. Burning less fossil fuels still passes that test for me. You know, it's still a key part of what I do. So 
so sort of on that note then as as an agent of change if right. you if you could mobilize everyone to the polls uh to to their city council meetings to uh you know wherever wherever they need to go to to get their message uh, uh, to their to their officials you know with one focused message one action point um that would have the the biggest impact what what would that be and, and- I mean, look, again, the needs are different everywhere. Affordability sure. and geography and demographics are different everywhere. But again, playing to our, talking to our audience, progressives slash Democrats are just fucking horrific at messaging. <laughs> so we're just trying to help here. You know, again, if you could focus everyone into one thing and saying, like, if we do this one thing, if you ask of your mayors and your city councils this one thing, demand one thing, what, what would you choose that to be in, in this next year? Right. It would be a national uh, carbon fee and dividend. So this is... Talk uh, us through that for the next minute okay. or so. Right. So we, this we've is... We've had a lot of different arguments uh, in, yeah. in a in sort of the Aristotle fashion arguments uh, on this, right. whether it's carbon tax or regulations and such. I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah. Ultimately, I think we need to get to a point where we're not burning any fossil fuel. Um, you know, there's other problems on the planet too, overpopulation, resources, water use, Sure. which are all related to overpopulation, habitat loss, which is related also to overpopulation. But right now, I think the urgent thing we need to do is really ramp down our fossil fuel use right away. Um, and also our you know, methane emissions. So you could put a price on those greenhouse gases. Uh, so, so anytime like you took a you know, certain amount of coal out of the ground or a certain amount of oil or natural gas out of the ground, you would put an extra price on that. So that's the fee. Uh, which is based on how much carbon that would emit. So you're doing it way upstream. So it's going to affect the entire economy. So it's going to make like, you know, locally grown food relatively cheaper compared to food that's shipped in from far away, right? Sure. Um, or for food that's grown with less nitrogen fertilizer will get cheaper relative to food that's grown with a lot of it. Um, electric cars will start to become more attractive. Renewable energy will start to become cheaper relative to fossil fuel. So all of these systematic systems level changes that we need would start to come together would all of them would be pushed at like this very fundamental level sure. by making that fossil fuel more expensive right and of course that's going to cause a gallon of gasoline to be a little more expensive too sure. so you give you collect all Which that is money hard for some folks Right. So you collect all that money and instead of using it for this politician's project or that politician's project and having these endless fights over that pot of money, Mm -hmm. you just give it back to everybody as an equal dividend. All right. Very, very simple. And then every year it gets more and more expensive. Right. So um, you start it as a way to 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 pay for sort of a a baby version of universal basic income. Well, yeah, I think it could sort of turn into that, at least until we start to really get away from fossil fuels. The, the point is eventually it would all go away when we, right. when we weren't burning fossil fuel anymore. Right. But I think you know, it, could, it could actually contribute to some kind of um, uh, basic income in sure. the sense that, that it would be a little, a little experiment. And then if we like it, how it goes, then we would learn a lot from that, that we could sure. apply how, what we learn. Um, the other interesting thing about this policy is you need to have uh, adjustments at the border to keep fossil fuel intensive um, industries from just leaving the country and going somewhere else and then polluting freely. So so you would, you know, if if you're importing some fossil fuel intensive good from somewhere else that doesn't have a similar like a carbon price at the same level, you would add a tariff to that, right? So that you would be an even playing field. Sure. And the interesting thing is this would actually encourage uh, international action because these other countries would very quickly realize that they could give that um that money for the the carbon price, they'd be giving it to us essentially so that they could, they could have access to our market. Whereas if they had their own uh, domestic carbon price, they would keep that money in their borders. Um, Mm -hmm. And so pretty quickly they'd realize, Hey, why are we paying the Americans when we could just keep that? So they quickly put their own carbon price. So we've really struggled at the international level uh, to deal with this, right? With the kind of like United Nations diplomacy stuff that has not been, you know, the Kyoto Protocol back in the 90s. Um, right. It just ha- has its, how how many more decades do we need to keep trying that same old stuff before we realize that it's not working? Because sure. it's not it's not working. But this is a path that could actually lead to real action at the international level. So sure. I don't think, I wanted to, to say that because I don't think very many people realize that. 
Um, but you know, if you sit down and think about it really carefully, start learning about it, you can join you know, a citizens climate lobby group. Um, they've got a lot of great resources online, which will walk you through all of the gory details of this. It really is um, you know, an amazing policy. Um, it's not the last step that we need to take on climate change, but I definitely think it's the most sensible thing we could do now. And there's potential for it to be you know, supported both on the left and the right sides of the political spectrum. Yeah. So uh, there awesome. you go. I love it. All right. We're, we are uh, getting a little close to time here. Um, Peter, thank you so much for your time yeah, today and having a talk with us. For writing a book. Uh, for writing a book <laughs> and living living what you're talking yeah. about instead of just exactly. gabbing. No sweat. So, all right. So let's summarize what our listeners and, and sort of action-minded folks in general can, can do to take action uh, per Peter Kalmus. Easiest slash most impactful things are eat less meat and throw away less food. If you've never thought about composting before, it's actually awesome. Yes, it's smelly. Um, but it's really cool and your kids will love it. Um, <laughs> we did it at home and it's super fun. I'm sure you can go on wire cutter or something and find the best composter. They've always got stuff like that. Even if you live in an apartment in New York, there's a way to do it. Um, and there's a way to, again, not put your food into uh, a huge pile somewhere that will turn into methane, which is bad, bad news. Um, number two, again, less flying. It's it's contentious. It's complicated. We understand but it does make a difference. Um, less driving, if at all possible. Of course, that's complicated. You got to drive around. You got carpooling. Yeah. But do carpooling, um, you know, if you can. Try to bike where you can when it's just you. Public transportation. Um, anything you can cut down. Brian, stop riding your motorcycle. Anyways, you. these apply to everybody. Um, and number three is is push for a carbon fee um, wherever you can. Make that your difference. It, again, I, I feel like through the scope of our conversations with folks, uh, progressive, conservatives, Anybody that is willing and is is working to take action, uh, this has been the thing that has stuck out the most because, yes, it will punish these companies, but the money can be returned to folks in, in some way, which is the, seems to be one of the larger sticking points. But it can do things like build a, a new economy, it can build new incentives for people to to use clean energies and to produce clean energies. Um, as some of our guests have pointed out, uh, right now there's there's no real business incentive aside from saving money, which has made a lot of businesses start to use clean energy, but to develop new technologies um, around these things. And if you start to do that and you make it advantageous for them, that's where we might see really awesome systematic change uh, as well as starting to cut down the emissions ourselves. Right. And, po and possibly even at the international level, which yeah, I think exactly. is really, really exciting potentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and again, we are, we are all connected. Um, <laughs> yes, we are. Um, all right, Brian, you want to hit him with the lightning round here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We like to end these things with a few, uh, quick questions. Uh, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. Should I, should I go into one of those spaces where I just do the free association, you know? Oh yeah. That would be perfect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just um, relax. And... Right. Just go, just go with it, man. No, these are easy. There's no pressure. Uh, Hey, how do you consume the news? How do I consume the news? Ha, you know, uh, I joined Twitter like um, uh, about six months ago to kind of like uh, help reach out about the book. Mm -hmm. So um, so a lot of like the stuff that I find really interesting, people, you know, post something about some article that someone wrote. And if it looks really interesting, um, you know, I'll, I'll go there. We also get a uh, <laughs> this this may be kind of a little weird for someone who's really trying to reduce his uh, weird yeah. footprint. But we get the print New York Times at our house. You monster. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no. New York Times. Real, real news, man. Pay, pay, pay for journalism; it makes a difference. Uh, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? Can't be mine. Fuck yeah! Fuck yeah, can yeah be can. Yours, of course. You know, if you said I, something else, it'd be really weird. If uh, if 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 he decided he hated my book and started tweeting about it, it would make me the happiest person on the planet. Yeah, it could be Wouldn't incredible. Be glorious? Fantastic. <laughs> From what I can tell, your book is full of fake news. So I uh, want somebody to, you know, like uh, fly over the White House and drop, you know, 100 copies. On <laughs> right. We can, we, can, we can figure that out. Um, all right. And, and last time, this is kind of a new one. Who's somebody in your life that's positively impacted your work in this in the past six months? 
Uh, I am going to go with Catherine Hayhoe. Um, so I, I think you know, know who she is. She's she a, has she's been mentioned <laughs> on every one of our podcasts. We're every working episode. on getting her scheduled. Wow. Well, she's a fellow climate scientist, and she's just so good at reaching out to people in this really compassionate, attentive way and kind of like meeting them on their ground and sort of kind of winning hearts and minds. So, so I really, you know, I, I look to her for how to do that messaging more effectively. And she's been super supportive of me too over the last six months. She really likes the book. Um, and she, she like nominated me to be one of the grist 50 and stuff. So wow. to get, to get sort this of, woman. you know, called out by, by one of my personal heroes has been sure. deeply meaningful for me. Not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, hey, Peter, where can, uh, where can everybody follow you online? Now that you've joined the cesspool that is Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, it's climate human on Twitter again, subtle. Yeah, <laughs> just the, awesome. the, the direct approach, right? Yeah, <laughs> Life's exactly. Too short. Life's too <laughs> just short. go for it, man. And and the book is being the change, uh, live well, and spark a climate revolution. Uh, and, and find that wherever you buy books, folks. Which yeah. is, I guess, Amazon or support your local bookstore. <laughs> right there, you go. Really? Um, uh, we did it. Peter, anything else uh, you want to say? Any last notes, uh, truth to power you want to put out there to our listeners? Yeah, just, you know, don't don't get discouraged. Don't get, you know, don't despair. Whatever is going to happen in the future, we don't know what that is, right? We don't know if this how, how far climate change is going to go, how bad things are going to get. But, you know, if you do everything you can, do it creatively, sort of explore this in a fairly deep level, I think that... Um, you know, a lot of people, people that I know who are on a similar path have also found that it makes their lives more satisfying. You know, it takes away the guilt. It takes away the despair. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from you know, listeners about the things that they've tried and that they like, because um, I think we're, you know, we're all in this together. And if we learn from each other about what works for, for this person versus that person, it can only be good. Awesome. Awesome. There's, I just want to say real quick, there was, I was sort of a, sort of an asshole in high school, but, uh, there were a few things that stuck with me and, and you're like living one of them. And, uh, uh, one of my favorite teachers had told, had told our class one time that you let, you can't let the, uh, like that idea that you are just one person and none of your actions will have an effect crush you or stop you from doing anything. Because if, if that's how everybody thinks, then that's exactly what will happen is nothing will change. But if you realize that you really can make a difference, then, and everybody does, then Big things happen in the world. Yeah. So thanks yeah. for thanks for like li- like I said before, just doing what you're fucking saying. Yeah, it's, there's it's no huge. reason to wait, right? We can yeah, just yeah. take the bull by the horns ourselves and just do it, and it yeah. feels really good. I love it, and this is great. This has been a very philosophical day for Brian. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> um, thanks, uh, Peter. Uh, thank you so much, man, uh, for all that you do out there uh, at JPL and and with your book. Again, speaking for yourself. Um, but doing it strongly and effectively and in a very practical way, um, being a leader on this stuff, man. And thanks for coming on. We really appreciate the time. Very much. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Talk Peter. Have soon. a great Thank day. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.